So first of all, um, there's a lot to be said about First Timothy, uh, this epistle that we have um, set for our reading today. There are a lot of places just in chapter 2 that we really need to pause and spend some time teaching and discussing. Some of it you would even call controversial. And so frankly, I don't want to do that. So we're not going to. And uh, we'll really just be looking at the first few verses of chapter 2 this morning. And for the rest of it, if you want to get into that and have any questions or concerns, please email me at um, mark at apostleseasternshore.org. And I'll get on your question right away. Um, second, and sort of related to that, I would say that you're, you're doing yourself a disservice anyway if the only time you're exploring what's written in these pages is on Sunday mornings. And, and that sounds harsh. I don't mean for it to. I don't mean to sound like I'm shaming anyone. It's just to highlight the fact that these sermons are really just these short interpretive reflections through the lens of each of those who preach. And so, yes, we preach the gospel of Jesus, and that should be a solid and unchanging message, but we do so out of our own experiences and out of our own learning and application. Um, So it's important that if you call yourself a Christian, that you develop a routine or rhythm or, or whatever you want to call it of reading and listening to and meditating on, praying through and studying God's Word. And if that's something that you could use a little help with, please don't hesitate to ask for help, um, especially from any of our clergy or maybe a friend that you know who's developed this kind of solid rhythm of being immersed in God's Word. Okay, that was just, just a, an aside. So looking here at 1 Timothy chapter 2, if you have your Bible with you, pull that out, and um, you're welcome to, to get that out on your phone as well. Paul quite plainly says, in short, pray for everyone. After laying out this whole piece in chapter 1 about who he, Paul, formerly was, how God graciously intervened and that God has come into the world through Christ to intervene in the lives of sinners, Paul says, first of all, then, then could be therefore, you could say. So therefore, in light of these things, first of all, pray. Pray for everyone. So the first question today, really, if you're a Christian, is this, are you praying for everyone? And not literally every single person by name, But do your prayers extend well outside of the scope of your own life, your issues, your wants and needs and desires? Are you praying for those who you have a really hard time liking? Or you might even use the strong enough language of saying you hate. Are you praying for those who bother you, those who you really don't want to pray for? Are you praying for those who have authority over you, something that Paul mentions here in 1 Timothy? Perhaps even those who misuse their authority. And if you're not a Christian, I still have a question for you. Do you see your Christian friends praying like this? Prayer is foundational to who we are as a church. In simple terms, it's speaking to and listening to God. Now, for me and and, in my experience, God doesn't audibly speak back to me, but there is this inner sense, this inner voice, if you want to call it that, which I understand God's direction and desire for the things that I bring to him in prayer. Theologically and even practically, there's, there's a lot more to say um, 
I would say that prayer isn't only limited to our language and our words or how we speak or think, but it's very much a part of how we live our lives and how we sort of posture ourselves in this world and how we choose to move through this world that, that is our prayer in a sense. But overall, prayer doesn't have to be complicated. It's simply our communing and our communicating with God. I remember the first Christian men's group that I was ever a part of. It was shortly after Lynn and I were married, and it wasn't just a men's group, but it was actually, um, unbeknownst to me until I got into it, it was a men's prayer group. And I remember every Tuesday afternoon, after being a part of this group, I remember every Tuesday I would start to kind of get butterflies in my stomach, and I'd just start to feel anxious, and my chest would get tight, and And I realized that I was having this anxiety because I knew that I would soon have to get in my car and go to one of these guys' houses and sit in his living room and all sit in a circle and pray out loud together. And it terrified me because I I didn't feel like that I knew how to do that. I mean, for all that I knew, I thought that there was a right amount of time to pray. You know, you had to pray just long enough, but not too long. Don't be long-winded. There's other guys that have to pray. That you had to sprinkle in some Bible verses in there just to kind of flex, you know, your Bible knowledge a little bit. And then here was the most important part. You had to know how to go, hmm, <laughs> at the right parts. Y'all know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so all of this, it, it just felt overwhelming to me. And so I get it. I, I, I remember that, I, and I get it for you if you feel that way, that prayer isn't simple or easy for some, but if I could just stand up here and say one thing to you, it would be that you can let that go. That if it helps any of you, let it go and know that God doesn't hold those expectations over you in prayer. Prayer instead comes out of our acknowledgement of what Paul declared back in chapter 1 of, of 1 Timothy he said that Christ Jesus came into the world, that, that God moved first, moved toward us, right, to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, Paul said. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his, his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, God chose an unlikely person through which to give the message of his mercy to others. So then, therefore, chapter 2, verse 1, so then, pray for others. Pray for everyone. Pray for the kings and authorities, even the likes of Nero, who during Paul's time preferred Christians dead. Pray for him too, because if God could choose me, Paul, how could he not choose them? If you're new to, to our Anglican tradition, um, I want to say that the good news, part of the good news for you is that we have this foundational book that guides us in our prayer. It's called the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, it's something that our church has had, not, not CODA, but the Anglican church has had for a very long time. And by it, we order our common prayer together, right? A common meaning together as, as the family of God, the church. Um, even our, our service here that we're participating in, if you flip over to the front of your bulletin and see it, every week we have on there Holy Eucharist. That word Eucharist comes from this Greek word Eucharistia, which, which means thanksgiving. It's a prayer of thanksgiving, of thanks and praise. Our worship is prayer, and our prayer is worship. 
So let me just give another small aside and, and then we'll move on. I, I, I want to just share with you that for me, the life of prayer is a journey. And I just pardon the overused pun, but it's, it's been true for me that it's a journey that's been filled with ups and downs. It's not all been smooth sailing with, with prayer. And there have been countless times and even some seasons of life where I simply couldn't find the words to pray. Can any of you resonate with that? And the beauty of common prayer is, one, that we recognize that we don't pray alone. It's clear in Scripture that our prayers are effectual for others. In other words, they're, they're doing things in other people's lives when we pray. And so we're commanded not merely to pray for ourselves or our own needs, but for the needs of others with others. Paul says on several occasions in his letters to the churches he planted, and he wrote back to them, and he said, you have helped me to continue in my ministry of planting churches by your prayers. Keep it up. Keep praying. And so in those seasons and times when the words just aren't there, I would, I would say perhaps you can just come in and you can sit and be surrounded by the prayers of the church, surrounded by the prayers of, of your brothers and sisters. When you sit there, I, I had a moment like this once where I was kind of in that time and season where I could didn't feel like that I had the words. And I, I remember hearing the words of the collect of purity. To you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. And I realized that as you all were praying that, you were praying on my behalf. And I, so every week when I pray it, I do the same for you. There's this beautiful story about Fred Rogers and uh, a boy with cerebral palsy. Uh, this boy who'd grown up watching Mr. Rogers, he loved him, finally got a chance to meet him. But out of, out of this sort of deep trauma of his life, when he met Fred Rogers and the excitement welling up in him, he just started acting out in, in some kind of inappropriate ways. And so they had to wait for him to calm down, and, and Mr. Rogers just waited there with the boy wait, patiently. And when he had finally calmed down, Mr. Rogers leaned over to the boy and he said, I want you to do something for me. Will you do something for me? And on the, on the boy's computer screen, which was how he communicated then, he said, yes, I'll do anything for you, Mr. Rogers. He said, I, I would like for you to pray for me. Will you pray for me? And he did. And when Mr. Rogers was asked by this writer of the article who who witnessed all of this, and, and he said, that was genius, you know, Mr. Rogers, you, you, how you kind of calmed the boy down by doing that. And he said, I didn't ask him to pray for me for him. I asked him to pray for me for me. And he said, because I think that anyone who has gone through challenges like that must be very close to God. He said, I asked him because I wanted his intercession. So we don't pray alone. Another beautiful thing about our, our book of common prayer, our common prayer life together, is that it ushers us into prayer as a sacred act of obedience, not, not spiritual desire, or not, I'm sorry, not emotional desire. If you wait to pray until you feel like praying or feel emotionally connected to God, you won't develop a robust life of prayer. Eugene Peterson is one of my favorite authors and pastors. He, he said, 
Prayer is a refusal to live as an outsider to my God and my own soul. In other words, prayer is bringing down the walls that separate us from God. It's refusing to allow anything, even our emotions, drive us away from God. In His grace, in His goodness, in His, who He is lovingly shaping us to become. And Paul wrote in one of his letters, pray continually, pray without ceasing. And I would argue that he wrote that because he knew, in part, that the desire wouldn't be there at all times. All right, that was all supposed to be a very small aside. It ended up being the whole sermon. So the main piece that I hope that you're hearing here about prayer is to strive for it. Paul wrote to Timothy, because of Christ and what he has done and what he continues to do, therefore, first of all, pray. Okay? The last piece that I want to draw your attention to very quickly is that our prayers, as encouraged by Paul, might help us to lead, he says, a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And this isn't the first time, by the way, that Paul paints this picture of a peaceful and quiet life. In, a, in another one of his letters to the church in Thessalonica, he, he writes about God's desire that they love one another, and then he urged them to aspire to live quietly and to mind their own affairs and to work with their hands. And I would say I, I myself am concerned with the lack of imagination that I've seen among some of my Christian friends for a peaceful and quiet life. Now, now, to be sure, that word quiet doesn't mean the absence of sound. It doesn't mean the absence of talking. And I'm not talking about stoicism here. I'm not talking about resoluteness in the face of pain or in the face of chaos or difficulty. But it means still, at rest, well-ordered, even in the midst of the world that can be busy and unpredictable and chaotic. And really, for us, this vision of the peaceful and quiet life is a challenge to who you and I are serving each day. It's a challenge to our idolatry because among so many that I see, and certainly I would say at times in my own life, there is this propensity to continual movement, right? There's this moving to the next thing and then the next thing and then the next thing. I see this curated social media life of shuffling ourselves and our families into schedules that are ever-changing and ever-growing, hurried, anxious, worried, and when the wheels fall off, we're like, what happened? And perhaps now more than ever, we need to hear the voice of the Father calling us back. Peace. Peace. Quiet. Rest. And again, I want to be clear Peace and quiet isn't escapism. It isn't some picket fence version of the American dream. It isn't figuring out how to make your calendar less full, though that can be helpful. It isn't avoiding the hard and difficult things of life in this world, but it's actually, it's actually in sickness, in war, in disease, in trials and tribulations of every kind, It's diving into those places knowing that the Spirit of God is with you, pursuing within you the kingdom of peace in the midst of it all. And and I would say, too, that some of you in here know those places that God is calling you to, and you're not going. 
And the funny thing is about that is you're not going because you're worried about how it'll disrupt your life, how it'll make things harder for you, and, and, and you don't have what it takes to handle it. But what you actually don't realize is that if God is calling you there, it may be the truest place of peace and quiet that you'll ever know. Hard and difficult? Absolutely. Most likely. Get ready. But peace beyond all understanding? For sure. That's why time and time again, Paul talks about rejoicing and sufferings, not because he's some sort of masochist and he loves suffering, but because he understood that when the chaos and suffering and the pain and the overwhelming things of this world meet the peaceful kingdom of God, God wins out. So when you have found peace and quiet within your own life, no matter the circumstances, it is a powerful witness to the world. It's, it is actually a shaping of the things that are to come. It's the pursuit of God's kingdom here on earth, and it's our making space for it. It's our prayers that those who govern the world, that they would make space for it. That's what Paul's talking about here. And it's our hope that at the end of all things, that peace and quietness will permeate all of creation for eternity. There's so much more that, that I, I really want to get into, but... I'll just cut it off here and I'll say this. Jesus is the way. He is the mediator, Paul said here. He's the mediator between God and humanity. And so there's no way to commune with this God of peace, to commune with him in prayer without Jesus. And there's no vision of this peace and quiet kingdom without him either. So let's pray to him now, asking him for these things. Our Heavenly Father, you are the giver of all peace. In you we find our rest and quietness of soul. Guide us in this life away from the chaotic temptations of the world to the easy yoke of Jesus Christ. In the words of St. Augustine, stir our restless hearts up until they find their rest in you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.